Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to day 35 of the 7am Novelist 50 Day Writing Challenge First Draft Edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Today is our last day of scene week and we're talking about dialogue with Pamela Loring and Michelle Ferrari. Pam and Michelle, good morning. Morning. Pamela Loring is a writer and editor who completed Grub Street's Novel Incubator in 2017. She's currently working on a novel called The Disappearance of Belmira Alvarez, whose main character has plenty of attitude and isn't afraid to say so. Pam has received awards from the Barbara Deming Fund, and she has won the Michael Kenneth Smith Fellowship from the Porches Writing Retreat. Uh, she also runs the Salty Quill Writers Retreat, which many of us love, and uh, she co-founded that retreat in 2015 with writers Deb Parsons and Anna De Silva. And Anna has been attending the 7 a.m. Novelist every morning at 6 a.m. from Chicago. So uh, welcome, Anna. So nice to have you on, too. All right. Michelle Ferrari currently teaches novel in progress at Grub Street. She completed both Grub Street's Novel Generator and Novel Incubator programs. She has participated in Breadloaf Sicily, the Tin House Summer Writers Workshop, and Sirenland Writers Workshop. She is a TEDx Beacon Street speaker and a Moth Grand Slam storyteller. This year, she has been querying a novel set in the punk scene of the 1980s New York City, and she's currently also working on a memoir about her brother's unexpected death. She lives in Cambridge with her husband and Jack Russell Zelda. All right, you two, thanks so much for being on this early in the morning dialogue. This is a big subject as well, but we're going to try to get everything possible out there we can talk about it in a half hour so how do you approach it what issues have you had about it what do you think about when you think about dialogue and i'm going to have pam start us off okay well i guess um when as i've been thinking about this one of the things that i've been thinking about is that there's always a public persona and a sort of and the psyche of your character and your characters never really quite say what they mean. Or if you're working your characters, um, so that, I mean, obviously they have flaws. You want them to, you want your readers to sort of occasionally cringe when they're saying the wrong thing. I mean, that's that's something that you want your readers to know your characters better than they know themselves. And that's yes. part of what you want to bring to the dialogue. You, you want to see them in their relationships, their complicated relationships, see what they're sort of doing wrong. And um, you, you don't want to hear about the weather. I mean, there's so many things that you don't want to do. You don't want to, you don't want niceties taking up room. You want the, your dialogue sections to move the story forward. But in that, you have to see, you have to create some sort of tension between the characters who are just not, they're miscommunicating. I mean, if you listen to people chatting at a cafe or something, no one ever really answers a question. Um, yes. Or they, they answer, they all have motivations in their, um, in, in their conversation that they want to move the, the story forward in some different way. They want to, they want something, they want to get something. So that's yes. really part of what I was thinking. So two really important things there, just basic dialogue stuff. Your characters, if you have your character just 
um, answer, and then, you know, statement, answer, statement, answer, statement, answer, back and forth between two different people. That's not really how people talk because most times people don't actually listen to each other. They don't hear each other. They have their own intentions in their dialogue um, and they talk over each other. And, and if you have a character ask a question, oftentimes the other character won't answer it or will ask, answer a different question because again, they have their intentions that they're bringing into the scene. And those are different intentions than, um, than the person in front of them. And also what you said about allowing your characters to make mistakes and to say the wrong thing. Um, Henriette brought up the idea of in a scene, you should have an oh no hun moment. Um, and actually last night, uh, my husband and I were watching a film and the name of it went out my head, but one character is very nicely saying to her sister, you know, hon, you've been really argumented lately and we just have a problem. And the sister's like, I haven't been argumentative lately. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's just such a perfect. <laughs> and we know that she's going under a lot of stress, um, of course. So she's she's hitting her sister with it when that's not the person that she's angry at at all. Um, and so it's just it, it's just the way the dialogue is so emotionally laden. Um, and you always have to remember that. Michelle, what do you think about when you first think about dialogue? I think writing dialogue is this like walking a tightrope of the real and the fictional version of the real, because what you were talking about, about like, that's not how people talk, right? Yeah. Like you want it to sound, to feel like an actual conversation between two people, but you also need to cut out a lot of the details, like Pam was saying, of what doesn't belong in dialogue, um, what what you want to get to the essence of it. I think trying to, how you get to the essence of what your characters are saying is is the sort of like process of writing it. Um, Hannah Tinty called it um, getting to the bullion of, mm. the, of the conversation, right? You don't need everything. You just need the like strongest essence of it. And I think it's when I, when I sit down to write a scene that's got dialogue, I often the way I do it is play the sort of like as if it's a movie in my head and transcribe it and then go back and take out all the unnecessary stuff. Cause I think that that's one of the things, especially with like first draft that you, you put everything in and then you edit out later to yeah. make it feel more real. Like how would that actually get said in a conversation versus how are you just playing it the first time? Um, Right, and it exactly. should always have like I think one of the important things is dialogue should always have serve multiple purposes in a scene. You know, like Pam was saying, you want to reveal the character and their flaws. You want to advance uh, the the relationships, the understanding of relationships, and also it's your only chance to get other people's voices mm -hmm. on the page, especially if you're writing in first person. Mm -hmm. Like dialogue is such an important tool in first person because it allows you to put other characters' voices and see the protagonist from other people's perspectives. Um, right. So that's the that's the big challenge is how you make it feel feel real without actually being real because it's real. not. Yeah, because it's not like dialogue in a in a fiction is not real dialogue. Is not right. a conversation. You know, nobody wants to hear hi, how are you like. 
Yeah, and it's real. If you sit down and and transcribe, and I highly recommend this, go to a cafe or something and write down how people talk. I make my students do that all the time. As a writer, I hope all of you are actually eavesdropping on the people around you. I give you permission to do that. Um, if you if you actually did that though it would be the most boring text that you would ever see. Um, so you really have to then, um, again, find the bullion. I love, I love um, saying that. I love thinking about that. Yeah. Um, Pam, we also have, so Judith Rogers says, well, you also need to use, in the chat, Judith Rogers is saying this, you need to use dialogue to move the story forward. What does she mean? How do you use dialogue to move the story forward? Well, um, I mean, I could write dialogue for pages and pages and never move the... <laughs> All of us could. All of us could. Yeah, yes. that's just the most fun thing to write. Yeah. But, um, you're, you're working with relationships between our characters. So there's always going to be like, or hopefully conflict and tension. You're not going to have dialogue between necessarily two characters who, who agree on everything or want the same thing at the same time. So the conflict and their sort of um, central flaw has to be present in some way to sort of um, exacerbate the situation in a way that will cause them to make a decision um, or, or somehow move the plot forward. People do things because of what people say. And in fact, um, just on a smaller note, they also think about, I mean, think about what did she mean by that when she said that, you know, later on. And, um, you can also, it, you know, it's not a delivery. It's not an info dump. Conversation is never a place to dump info or like, do backstory, but you can say, oh, this again, you know, oh, you're, you're talking about this again. You can bring in sort of organically the history of the relationship or the story, or you're always so out of control or, you know, something, um, you know, you do reveal information through dialogue because you have somebody finally admit something or tell somebody something and but it can't sound like information. No, it has to, be, it has to like, again, that weird line between like what is real and not real. Like it has to, it's not like, especially lines that go, as you know, <laughs> where you're like telling somebody something they already know. But I think that there are times when that, when conversation can be, a, or dialogue can be a really good way to introduce pieces of backstory or introduce um, information that your reader needs to know, but that another character needs to know. Yeah. Uh, and just have it actually articulated and how it's said and how it's revealed um, if it slips out accidentally. Yeah. I mean, we've all had those moments in our own lives when somebody said something to you and you're like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> 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 and suddenly the tension goes like from zero to three. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly everything has changed um that your relationship with that person and it can be very slight very subtle but that's what you're looking for those little moments of change and movement forward and so that is part of what moves the story forward is allowing characters so Pam has talked about characters speaking through their flaws and and she's also referenced talking about intention if you if you have every um every person in the room including the dog with intention 
something's going to happen because all of those intentions can't possibly be working wonderfully together. There's going to have to be, there's going to be um, a negotiation, a power play, something, and allowing the dialogue to follow that, to get you somewhere, to get you to that turning point that we've talked about in scenes is part of what will then drive the story forward. Um, so always remembering what is my character's intention in the scene and how are they speaking through this, through their intention versus just talking and talking. Well, um, I'm thinking about dialogue as being action reaction, right? right? So choosing to tell somebody something or to say something is an action. And then the other character has to react and a not, you know, no reaction is also a reaction, but it's that, that back and forth can push, like Judith was saying, that it adds energy to the, and, and lets you actually see how the characters reveal themselves to each other yeah yep dialogue will be the breath of fresh air that your page needs so and it really it really feels like that in in a um, passage of narrative um dialogue will just feel like air um and so it, it helps the pacing in that way it helps wake your reader up um and so it's really necessary in that way um Pam, let's go back. So when you think about, so you said you could just write dialogue for pages and pages and pages. So when you go back in, you're like, okay, Pam, I can't have pages and pages of dialogue. What do you do? How do you make those choices? How do you find the bullion? Well, I try to, you know, find the center of the conflict, try to see, um, I, first of all, I always find reading it aloud, um, even though I just, sound like I'm speaking, you know, yeah. talking to myself, reading it aloud really helps. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're repeating as people often do repeat the same thing over and over again, if your character is doing that, you just like, you know, hone it down, just, you know, carve it out and get to the central part that's going to, to move the story forward to, you know, the central conflict that's, uh, you know, yeah. Think. And so, and it's also about, it's about paying attention to what your writing process is already giving you on the page, right? Like going yeah. back through it. What is my psyche already given me? What is my character already giving me? And how could I use that better? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, differentiating voice, you have to differentiate yeah. voice. You have, you know, I have certain um, curses that, you know, my characters all have their specific <laughs> their own <laughs> like and um so i have to go through and, and search for all of those as well um, yeah i find it um really helpful sort of listening i think dialogue to me when i first heard um or watched who's afraid of virginia wolf mm. uh, that was just eye-opening and astounding you know stuff to me so I mean going to plays to see what's done there and how that's move how they move the story forward um just you know via um dialogue is a great tactic to to learn about how to do it how they speak on top of each other how they don't answer each other but are lost in their own dreams or angst or yeah yeah and um, bring so much to it you bring so much like um, history and culture and um, personality to the way that you speak, where you're from. Are you, 
you know, from New York, do you talk fast? Do you fill spaces? Um, there are, uh, Deborah Good, who's on here, um, has, and Maura Sheehy, a friend of mine, has um, turned me on to Deborah Tannen, who's a linguist and writes great um, books about, about language and how people communicate. So those kinds of resources, if anybody's struggling, are great sort of resources to look into. Awesome. Carol um, Gilligan and a long time ago, you know, wrote books about about speech and about gender roles in in language. Um, yes. Yeah, yes, and and how certain genders will dominate a particular um, uh, uh, set of dialogue depending on who they're at, who they're with. Yeah, Pam, if you have a chance to write those titles in the chat, and then we can repeat them in the show notes too. That would be great. Um, Michelle, how about you? How do you find the bullion? Well, I think one of the other, I, I really like that idea of like, of just pointing out, like if you go to a play and you're think like it's all dialogue. So you're, you know, get to really think about how it works. Um, if you're really paying attention or watch, you know, watching a, a really good um, exchange in a movie. But I think the other thing that's really important is to make sure that you're not just having two heads talking in space. Yeah, um, that's a really important thing. Like if you're, you know, the idea of like sitting in a coffee shop and listening to a conversation, I would make sure that you can see the people <laughs> and think about what they're doing as they're talking, because we're all revealing ourselves and our relationship to what we're saying through how we're acting while we're saying. And people are always set in the world. They're not just too like heads in a vacuum. Um, so it's really important to do that too. I think like being able to fully realize a scene since we're talking about scenes at the end of scene week, like it's a scene, it's not just a conversation, right? Mm -hmm. And how that works in space and how that works in time and how that works in all the other pieces of the puzzle, um, I think helps you get to the, the part where you're not just having your characters drone on. Um, and also, I think reading aloud is so important. I, to my students, I um, quote Harrison Ford's line from when they were making Star Wars originally. He said to George Lucas, like, you can write this shit, but you can't say it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, he's like, open your mouth when you're at the typewriter, was his line to George Lucas. And I think that's so important because yes. you will feel it when you're, when you're, when you're saying it aloud, if it doesn't feel true or mm -hmm. if it feels like too much we've already said that that's already been there um I think if that it those... feels too writerly if it feels too like you're trying to impress someone that's not going to be good dialogue yeah or if it goes into monologue right like right I mean that's the one thing about plays is like they do move into monologue in moments and most people don't actually yeah do a yeah. lot of monologuing in 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 their inter interpersonal relationships. like Unless it's really a part of their, I do have a character. He's an elderly yeah, male character who I kind of let wax poetic because he's just the kind of guy that's going to wax poetic and not really care. And that's an important <laughs> that thing. Anyone's listening. Break the rules when it's going to reveal character. Right. Like and if you have somebody that keeps repeating themselves, that's an important, that might be an important detail of character that you wouldn't leave in regular dialogue, but the fact that they keep repeating themselves, you know, yeah, uh, exactly. like somebody who keeps, who can't seem to get out of a loop. Or if anybody's ever been in a boardroom. <laughs> oh, 
Just please never be in a boardroom again. <laughs> so um, we we haven't used this term, but but writers will often talk about uh, uh, dialogue in particular that's too on the nose. Um, so that means that basically people have said actually what they want to say <laughs> and in a way that's very articulate um, and or they've named like a theme of your book and I always have to rem remind my um, novelists like your characters don't know that they're in a novel <laughs> and they probably should so they shouldn't sound like they're in a novel um, so and 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 the way to avoid too on the nose uh, dialogue is again thinking about your character's deeper flaws, their fears, and all those social walls that hold up. So your character might want to tell Sarah that they're madly in love with her, but all they're able to talk about is, "Here, can I get you a knife to cut your bagel?" Because they're too afraid of how Sarah's going to react. They're too self-loathing. Um, Bill is also in the room and Bill is big and tall or something. So there's other things that you always have to be aware about that, that are going to influence your character's ability to say what's exactly on their mind. And you need to be aware of that. And again, that's going to be about their flaws and fears. It's going to be about their deeper desires. I really want to impress this person. Therefore, I'm not going to tell them that I think that their tie today is really horrible. Um, you know, whatever, that's always going to influence whether they can actually get across what they want to say to them. And in terms of finding the bullion, some tricks to think about I would go through your um, scenes, particularly scenes heavy with um, dialogue and try to see what is the latest point in the scene that I can actually start the scene. What's the latest possible point? Um, because a lot of it is oftentimes just gonna be throat clearing. And then also what's the earliest I can end it because then a lot of, you know, we just trail off at the end sometimes. And the same is true on an actual, dialogue exchanges in the sentences, the first two or three words, or even possibly the first two or three sentences of, of a character's dialogue, you might be able to just automatically cut off. And you might even just do it to see how it sounds. And the same is true the last two or three words, or possibly even the last two or three sentences of a character's um, passage of dialogue. Try just cutting it off and see what the effect is, see what actually happens, um, and see if you really need it. And so that can be a good test to, um, to finding that bullion and helping you get to it. Michelle, also, what were you going to say? Times, yeah, there's times when even within a conversation, you can have a moment of um, summarized dialogue where it's like she told him all about her morning, right? Like you don't necessarily need, especially if the reader already knows that piece of information, if the other character might know that piece of information, whatever it is, you don't need to necessarily, even within a conversation, have every word that they say to each other. Right. The importance um, of paraphrasing, exactly. Yeah. And, and that adds to pacing. Yeah. You can intersperse their thoughts, their personal thoughts, interior thoughts as well, and intersperse action with, you know, within the dialogue too. Yeah. It breaks it up and gives it a little breathing room or amplifies the tension with the interior thoughts. As well. Definitely amplifying tension. And that's what you always want to think about when you're adding interiority to dialogue passages. You don't want to have your character say, Sarah, I hate you. And then have the interior passage say, he felt really angry at her. <laughs> because that's just redundant. So the, the interiority needs to add tension. It needs to add uh, difference um, to the dialogue that's already been stated. Um, I also, Pam, wanted to get to you because you use so many different wonderful voices in your novels. 
how do you, you, and you've talked about differentiating those voices. How do you do it? I mean, how do you balance all of that? How do you keep track of their voices? Are you able to just, <laughs> Pam's like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, how do you hear? I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. Multiple personalities. Yeah. No, just listening to people and sort of, I think if you know your characters, yeah, understand what their needs and their hurts and their desires are, then you can get into their head. And I mean, that's the first step really to, to getting to their voice, um, you know, and they, to see things from their perspective, that's really, that's really the, cl the basic clue, you know, your empathy with your character. If you have an unlikable character, you still have to see his point of view, his or her point of view, points of view. Yeah. Um, so that's, um, that's part of it. But one thing I wanted to say is that you know, in terms of, I think Elizabeth just asked a question about, um, you know, do other people see themes in, you know, can secondary characters um, state the themes? I think they can. I mean, I think they can not particularly, you know, very articulately, but maybe try to be pointing a, a, out something to a character that your characters, your main characters are probably not ready to hear. I mean, what you really want, I think, in a, in a book is the reader knows the character better than the character knows themselves. And mm -hmm. so, because it's a, it's a voyage of discovery of the character through the book. Um, they're, they're, trying, they're trying to overcome their central flaw. And as they, you don't want the character to divulge everything or know your own know themselves that well or well enough to sort of hear that when a secondary character says it but you I don't see you know I think other people are trying to point out something well yeah it's always so much easier to see somebody else's blind spots yeah. yes so your secondary yeah. characters don't have the same blind spots as your protagonist they can see where they're making mistakes and um and can you know feel even judgmental about it in a in a conversation? So it you, it has a, you do have a lot of room to use your secondary characters to explore how what your re, what your main characters your protagonists really understand about themselves. Yeah, and that's and that's why you choose to have those characters in the novel. Oftentimes they are reflecting in some way your main characters' flaws and fears and desires um, in in a in a slanted way. If it's too exact, it's going to be um, too loud. Um, and I also, part of Elizabeth's question is, are you using secondary characters to reveal also um, themes? I, I personally would be very careful about pushing theme too heavily. Um, I remember the writer Hajin said, oh yeah, you know, I, I write my book the way I like it. And then sometimes I add some of that thematic crap because that's for the graduate students in the English departments. <laughs> um, so obviously not, I mean, you know, I think uh, some of us that, that came down uh, reading in a certain way or, or English majors a certain way, um, say like, well, I've got to put this theme in. I have to make this, make sure that this is through. And most of the time, if you're too conscious of your own themes and you're forcing it on the page, and particularly if you're allowing your characters to speak through it, that's just not going to work. It's going to, it's going to be too loud. It's going to show way, way too much. So I'd be it's careful about that. Feel artificial, right? Yeah. You don't want dialogue to pretentious. feel pretentious. 
yeah, it can it can seem very pretentious. So so you might let I generally most writers that I talk to said allow the theme to kind of come through in and of itself in a natural way. Um, and you might be able to tweak it a little bit, but I'd be careful. I also remember a writer once at I, I love this woman. She was wonderful, but she came up to me at Breadloaf and she was talking to me about all the Calvinist themes in my books. And she was very, very excited about the Calvinist themes in my books. And it sounded like I was brilliant. Like, oh, oh wow, I have all these Calvinist themes, like all these amazing Calvinist things. And I have no idea what she was talking about. Um, so um, I was like, yeah, that sounds really great. So instead, you know, kind of allow maybe the um, your fans to kind of, you know, say that you're doing great things and just nod your head because so much of this we're just not in control of at all. Um, and we didn't even necessarily intend it. Um, Pam, I'm going to go back to you. So, but a lot of your characters are speaking through culture, right? Um, and this is also something about historical fiction as well. Um, in historical fiction, uh, you also want to be careful about if you actually sounded like those historical characters, um, then it would sound too modern to our ear. Um, and so a lot of historical writers actually then push the, the antiquity of the language and that doesn't sound right either. So it's always gonna be, in historical fiction, it's gonna be something in between the modern and the historical. Um, and actually I've, I've referenced Lauren Groff's book, Matrix before. She so much so didn't wanna have a bunch of nuns talking about like, like 15th century people. So she actually paraphrased all her uh, dialogue in that book, um, which is risky, um, but you can think about that too. So Pam, I just also wanted to end on, um, how do you get across culture um, with your characters? How do you get across Belmira? How do you get across, um, how do you get across their accents even? Or do you just like, you just hear it? I, I don't, I actually don't know. I think I'm an historical person myself because I just discovered that my time period is historical fiction in the seventies. It doesn't feel all that historical to me. Right. But, um, so I, I, I don't know that I can answer that question other than to really just try to be true to what they, you know, what they're, their background is their their um, their relationships are. I try not to. Um, I I use the vernacular a lot. I mean, mm -hmm. I just I speak. I try to write dialogue as people would speak. I don't try to fluff it up or make it necessarily. Um, you know, liter. You know, liter. I avoid being too literary. Yeah. Or too or even using jargon of the time period. Yeah, or jargon. Yeah, I, I avoid jargon. I don't use, I probably don't use enough of it, but sometimes, you know, I'll drop in an occasional, you know, word from that. If it sounds natural from the character and that you're right. not actually yeah. trying to signal time period. Yeah. 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 And then I'm not having a, a cop saying that something's groovy. <laughs> Please, Please God, no. Also about how your characters, I mean, just even thinking about listening to Balmira's like interiority, like how your characters put their language together, mm -hmm. right? Like how a character will put a sentence together and 
it sounds like them, you know? I find myself when I hear people say something that like rings in my ear, I repeat it, right? Because it's like often it's about the combination of words and sounds and how, you know, like certain characters will put a sentence together, the sequence of words in a way that I wouldn't. Yeah. And Which so you perfect. don't have to like work, worry about trying to make their accent sound. It's like just even the sequence of words is different, you know? Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Okay. I'm going to need to get these folks to their writing desk. Thank you so much, Pam and Michelle. They're both very, very intuitive writers. So I think that's also about like paying attention to the world around you, listening to the world around you is how you guys are so good at, at finding dialogue. Okay, tomorrow is voting day in the United States if you're listening in the United oh. States. So I highly, highly recommend that you please get there and vote. Tomorrow we also start after you vote, maybe you can listen to the recording. <laughs> tomorrow we also start our, our week talking about the difficult middle pages of your book and how to hold them up. And if you support what we're doing, please share, follow, and rate our 7 a.m. podcast. You can find it on our Substack page or on other podcast platforms. And you can find our full schedule at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Pam and Michelle. And I hope everyone has an amazing writing day. There isn't nothing here at all.